Is that a bridge too far, Sean? It is. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. He was a legendary Texas Ranger who was relentless in his pursuit of justice. The toughest, longest-serving Ranger of his time, he became known as the Border Boss. This week, we have another tale of the Texas Rangers as we talk about John R. Hughes. But first, what's your favorite filling for kolaches or klobosnicki? Well, listen, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to poach it again. I love the cream cheese. Mmm, that's delicious. Or peach. Or cherry. But mostly cream cheese. You really can't go wrong. Um, it's definitely, the cream cheese is definitely the uh, the baseline for your sweet kolache. You know, actually, for kolaches, I really like poppy seeds. I, I really like poppy seed kolaches for the sweet, on the sweet side. Although I've had some pumpkin pie-filled kolaches. Oh, my God. Mm. Very that- good. That actually sounds delicious. It was name, quite good. Mm, I'll, I'll put that on the list. My it name needs to be, mm, yeah, it, yeah, it needs to be like fall. I mean, it can't really be like 120 degrees. Here's my thing. It's like, oh, look at these delicious Texas peaches. Sean's like, bleh. Oh, look I at these delicious peaches. Texas strawberries. Bleh. Look nah, at any kind don't. of fruit. <laughs> any kind of good, healthy cherries. fruit. I Sean like says, cherries. boo. I like cherries. <laughs> cherries are good. Uh, for Is the clubis. Is Lassie cherries? Now, hang on. Yeah. Is cherries to strawberries? Is that like such? Is that like just a? Is that a bridge too far, Sean? It is. The strawberries are too sweet. That's what <sighs> I don't like about them. Too sweet. It's that cloying sweetness that I just don't like. Oh my god. I don't know how. I don't know how we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't like Dr Pepper either, and you guys hate me for that. So, uh, for the club, club sneaky, uh, I like sausage, uh, but I also like bacon and cheese. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about the Klobosnicki is anything savory you feel like putting in there, it's probably fine. How about sausage and gravy? I would eat that. Um, you know, much like choosing a favorite child, uh, it's nearly impossible for me to choose a favorite flavor kolache. Um, I like pretty much anything that you can stuff in there. Um, I actually kind of like the dough more whatever the filling is so um for my favorite i'll just say anything but prune it's not a fan of the prune even though those are are fairly traditional not my thing if you are a fan of kolaches go back and listen to our check texas episode uh and they're also mentioned in our uh, captain joe and the great storm of uh, that hit corpus christi i don't know why i said that just take take a drive from Dallas to Austin and stop in West at the Village Bakery or the Check Stop or the uh, Salachics. Any of those places has good kolache. Yeah, or drive over to Scott's house because he's been baking them like crazy lately. I know, crazy, crazy bacon. I've I've made them twice. That's crazy baking. That's two times more than I've baked kolache. <laughs> <laughs> that is two hundred percent more times. Than I've <laughs> John Reynolds Hughes was born in 1855 in Cambridge, Illinois, to Thomas and Jenny Hughes. In 1865, the family moved to Dixon, Illinois, and then later to Mound City, Kansas, right on the edge of the frontier. When he was 14, 
Hughes left home to work on a neighboring cattle ranch, but soon decided he wanted to be a trader in Indian Territory. He made his way west into what is today Oklahoma, where he became closely associated with the Choctaw and Osage Indians. After a few years, he moved further west to the Comanche reservations and learned a great deal about their cultures and traditions. He traded in the Fort Sill area and became friends with the legendary half-Comanche war chief, Quanah Parker. After six years in Indian Territory, Hughes went back to cowboying. It was 1875, at the height of the cattle drive era, and there was good money to be had, running herds of cattle to Kansas on the Chisholm Trail. He worked for a few years as a trail driver and saved up enough money to buy a farm near Liberty Hill in Travis County, which is northwest of Austin. There he entered the horse business. In May of 1886, thieves stole several horses belonging to Hughes's neighbor, and Hughes set out after them. Over the course of several months, he trailed them all the way to New Mexico Territory, where he killed two of the men and captured the rest. He came back to Texas, returning the horses to his neighbor. The pursuit brought him to the attention of local Texas ranger, the legendary Ira Ayton. Ayton was impressed with Hughes, and in July of 1887, Hughes accompanied Ranger Ayton in the pursuit of a murderer named Judd Roberts. Hughes and Ayton got into a gunfight with Roberts, killing him. Hughes' single-minded pursuit of justice and his coolness under fire, along with Ayton's recommendation, was enough to secure a spot in the Texas Rangers later that year. Hughes was just 32 years old and would serve as a ranger for close to 30 years. Hughes primarily served in the Frontier Battalion, the toughest and most fierce unit in the Rangers. They were tasked with keeping the peace along the Rio Grande River, the border between Texas and Mexico. During his time with the battalion, he gained a reputation as a relentless pursuer of outlaws. He already had a reputation as someone who would get his man, dead or alive, even before joining the rangers. And often rangers on the frontier were judge, jury, and executioner in the rough frontier ways. Until 1900, any ranger had the ability to arrest or execute a suspect, and there were quite a few criminals brought in draped over the back of their horse. In 1890, Hughes posed with fellow ranger Bob Speaks, Alonzo Oden, and Jim Putnam in one of the most widely circulated Texas Ranger photos in history. The photo has since been used in numerous magazines and postcards, in addition to being placed on t-shirts in the latter 20th century. At the time of the photo, the Rangers, part of D Company Frontier Battalion, were assigned to protect a silver mine located in Schaffner, which is near what is today Big Bend National Park. Hughes was serving as a sergeant under the command of Captain Frank Jones. As we talked about in an earlier episode, in 1893, Company D was assigned to the El Paso area and was tasked with cleaning out the murderous Bosque gang. This large bandit clan was led by Patriarch Jose Maria Ogun and his three sons, as well as numerous relatives. They operated out of Pirate Island along the Rio Grande south of El Paso. On June 30th, the Pirate Island bandits ambushed a detachment of men led by Captain Frank Jones when they strayed over the river into Mexico looking to arrest Ogren near the Mexican town of Trace Tecales. Jones was killed in the ambush, and the rest of his men were lucky to get out alive. It took deft political maneuvering to get Jones's body back from Mexico so it could be buried. Mexican officials arrested Ogren and his sons, but the central government of Mexico was angered by the violation of their sovereignty by the Texans, and they allowed the bandits to be released from jail. As a result of Jones's death, Hughes, who was not present at the ambush, became the commander of Company D. They swore to avenge the capable and popular Captain Jones. 
Hughes made it his personal mission to hunt for the killers, most of whom were believed to be members of the Olguin family. Hughes was supplied with a list of names from a former ranger named Ernest St. Leon. Leon had been an Indian fighter and lawman who was forced out of the rangers because of his alcoholism. He remained friends with Hughes, who he'd served with, and had infiltrated the outlaw world along the border in order to feed undercover information back to his old comrades. Based on the information St. Leon supplied, Hughes and his company tracked down 18 suspects in the murder, including Algon and his three sons. Over the next few weeks, three of the Algons were found dead. One died of unknown causes, and another was found dead from apoplexy near the location of the shootout, while a third was found hanging in a tree. Although this was said to be a suicide, locals believe that he was lynched by Hughes and his rangers. All the remaining outlaws on the list were either killed in shootouts or hanged, and the Algan family's crime spree was ended. Exploits like this and the actions he took before he became a ranger gave Hughes a reputation that definitely preceded him. Even notorious outlaws preferred not to cross his path. Bud Frazier was the sheriff of Pecos in West Texas, and he learned that a local outlaw named Jim Miller and his gang were planning to kill him when he got back to Pecos from a business trip. He hoped to ensure his safety, so he asked for help from Ranger Captain John R. Hughes. Now, according to the Leon Claire Metz book, The Shooters, quote, nobody in Pecos, of course, wanted to tangle with Hughes. And a few minutes after the Ranger hit town, Miller was in jail, charged with plotting to commit murder. In his book, Trails and Trials of a Texas Ranger, W.W. Sterling described Captain Hughes in this way. John R. Hughes had every requisite of a great captain. Initiative, courage, intelligence, and judgment. He loved the service. One of the axioms he used in enlisting his men was, Nerve without judgment is dangerous and has no place in the ranger service. He was such a commanding and intimidating presence in South and West Texas that he gained the nickname the Border Boss. In 1900, the Frontier Battalion was abolished. A court ruling destroyed the authority of the force by allowing only commissioned officers to execute criminal process or make arrests. Without the ability to enact rough frontier justice, the battalion was no longer needed. The state took the opportunity of the ruling to reorganize the rangers. Hughes kept Company D in the new force, serving in the new ranger structure. A few years later, Hughes was appointed senior captain with headquarters in Austin. On January 31, 1915, at the age of 60 and having served as a captain and a ranger longer than any other man, Hughes retired from the force. John Hughes never married. He spent his retirement years ranching, prospecting, and traveling by automobile. He was also involved in the banking industry, becoming a chairman of the board and the largest shareholder in the Citizens Industrial Bank of Austin. Uh, This made him a very wealthy man. Reports differ on where he lived, with some of them saying that he lived in Austin and others in El Paso. Hughes also remained one of those grand old characters of Texas' past. Western novelist Zane Gray authored The Lone Star Ranger, dedicated to Hughes and his company of rangers. A close friend of Hughes named Jack Martin went on to author The Border Boss in 1942, telling of his exploits with the rangers. As we stated, Hughes was the subject of Trails and Trials of a Texas Ranger, and in addition to those books, Hughes was included in the Encyclopedia of Western Gunfighters by Bill O'Neill, and The Law Comes to Texas by Frederick Wilkins. In 1940, Hughes was selected for the Certificate of Valor, a national award that recognized law enforcement officers. By this time, Hughes was in poor health, and most of his closest friends and contemporaries were long dead. 
Depressed and alone and no longer able to live the active physical life that he'd so enjoyed, he moved in with a niece in Austin. On June 3, 1947, he committed suicide at the age of 92. He is currently buried in the State Cemetery in Austin, Texas. In later years, Hughes was honored with election into the Texas Rangers Hall of Fame alongside his old friend, Ira Aiton. Man, that's a... That's kind of a sad and tragic end to like uh, such a tough mm-hmm. old bird. Yeah, that he is a tough hombre. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Like he left home at fourteen. He just decides to go be a trader in Indian territory, which at the time in the eighteen sixties and seventies was like the most lawless part of the country. Uh, and uh, and then he's like, oh, I'm gonna go make some money doing running cattle, and then. He's like, well, my friend lost, my neighbor lost his horses. I'm going to go hunt down the guy who stole him, and I'm going to kill him. <laughs> He's not a lawman. He just goes off and does it. I mean, kind of sounds like like world's best neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I tracked down the guy that stole your stuff. I uh, shot one of them and uh, brought the rest of them back. Yeah. I mean, you know, so uh, how, like, the, I mean, this guy was a... Ranger for a long time, and he made the transition from the sort of go forth and patrol to a, to more of a proper police force. Yeah, has history been kind to John Hughes? I, I think it has because, I mean, he's he's really more of a legend to the Rangers, to the Texas Rangers. Like he's he's he was really well known in at the turn of the century, in the early part of the twentieth century. He's not as well known as Bigfoot Wallace or as uh, Samuel Walker or or as uh, Randall McNally uh, or as Rip Ford, but he doesn't also have the baggage like that a Rip Ford does or or that a Saul Ross does or that a McNally does in terms of you know they were this guy was too young to serve in the Civil War Uh, he didn't he wasn't part of the San Elizario stuff he was he was later in the 1880s when he joined the Rangers so yeah he's mostly just known for being a bad bad SOB who, who, who kicked butts and didn't take, didn't take anything from anybody, but he really became like the ideal professional Texas Ranger. Like he's, you know, he was, he was capable, he was qualified. Um, but the interesting thing is that is the whole, the whole thing of pursuing the murderers of, uh, uh the killers, the Ogun gang of, of Captain Jones, you know, what we didn't mention here is that that all happened in Mexico. It did not happen in Texas. He didn't chase those guys down in Texas. He and his men chased those guys down in Mexico. And so they had just caused a major international incident by going into Mexico after some Mexican bandits. And he goes on the, the you know, the Wyatt Earp death ride. <laughs> I just picture like Kurt Russell, you know, in, in Tombstone chasing after these these bandits, this bandit gang. Yep. Uh, and that's what I picture. And, and, you know, the fact that they, one of them hanged himself and another one had apoplexy, you know, he, you know, he, he died just at the side of the gunfight, you know, it's like, no, I don't think those things happen. I think that the Rangers got up with them and, and took care of their own justice. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, he tripped and fell on six bullets. It happens. Yeah. yeah. He fell off that horse as it was riding away from us <laughs> after, after we tied him up to it. Right. Right. But, 
but I think the story, the other story, the story that I love, I, 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 there's so many great little nuggets of, like, I want to look into this Cernus St. Leon guy, the first undercover agent of the Texas Rangers, who was kicked out of the Rangers because he was too much of a drunkard, which that you have to be in 18, in 1885 or whatever it was to be kicked out of the Texas Rangers because you drank too much. Boy, you must have been a drinker. Um, but the idea of an undercover agent for the Texas Rangers in 1893 or 95 or whatever it is, that's pretty amazing to me. Uh, and his nickname was Diamond Dick because he always wore some type of diamond pin on his clothes. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting character himself. The other one is the, the notion of the sheriff asking him to come and be his bodyguard for a couple of days and the impression that I get is that that, that outlaw just turned himself in, <laughs> you know, rather than have use come after him. That's what's amazing to me. Well, I don't blame him. Yeah. You know, that, that double-edged sword of, of heroes, right? It's like the, the further you get you distance from the reality of what they did, um, the more, you know, the easier it is to uh, romanticize. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he he seems like I mean he seems like he was a good good a good leader and that was what was needed really for the time and the fact that he you know he he stayed on with the Rangers a lot of the Rangers of his contemporaries left the Rangers after the the 1900 when the uh, when things changed with how they were they, they could operate so he stayed on and helped modernize the service into the into the 20th century so that was a that was a good thing. Um, but yeah, it is sad how he, how his life ended. You know, he just couldn't be the person that he wanted to be anymore. And you know, to take your own life at ninety two is pretty pretty tragic. But you know, we've seen that in Texas. We saw that with Anson Jones, and we saw that with with several other other people who, you know, at the end of their life, you know, where they found themselves at a state of despair of losing their of no longer being able to be the person that they wanted to be you know those those texans were pretty melancholy people so yeah they they could be could be they were they were you know big personalities results in you know large large peaks and valleys yep well another texas ranger you can find information about him if you go down to waco to the texas ranger hall it's right next to baylor university Along with Ira Aiton and many others. Yes, apparently my parents, I think my took the kids there this summer. Um, they didn't come home uh, talking about it nonstop, so they must have enjoyed it immensely. <laughs> that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you love this show and you know you do, then get out there and help us out. Tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. Remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.